Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you, you will learn the world is not what it seems and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. Today we're going to talk about why our bodies are probable constructs and why we are significance-making creatures. Now, that's a mouthful, and to explain it, I'll have to get into some complex ideas and reasoning. But if you'll bear with me, it's all very significant in terms of who we really are. A couple of sessions ago, Seth gave examples, uh, or one particular example, of a Rob, Jane's husband, uh, and his uh, thoughts and actions regarding looking at a house in Sayre, Pennsylvania. If you missed that, I recommend you go back and listen to it. It's an example example of how probable events are constantly interacting, leading to one accepted reality on our part. Let me read what Seth says about that. He says, The relatively insignificant example of probable events and their interaction just given and that's what i mentioned about the the uh, hunt for a house in sayer provides a few important clues to the nature of probabilities in general an organization is definitely present but it's not the kind of order you are used to recognizing now here comes an important point This small private experience is repeated endlessly with different variations in all areas of daily living. That is, probable events constantly interact. And through their interaction, you end up with one recognized series of episodes that you accept and you call it physical reality. He then elaborates on the point. He says, underneath this recognized order of events, however, there is actually a vast field of ever-occurring action. These fields of probabilities are action sources for your reality. But your world action is also a source for these other probabilities. This applies at all levels, mental and biological. And next, next Seth gets into... Uh, concept that he explained a number of sessions back, and that is that the electromagnetic energy units and the consciousness units and the atoms and the molecules that make up our cells, they exist outside of the reality we recognize, and they are aware of all the probabilities. Let me me turn now to what he said. Probabilities involve the atoms and molecules, therefore, and the cells. They involve thoughts also. Now, the, our thoughts, of course, are what, direct the, uh, what, what directs a lot of what we perceive, right? So they involve thoughts also, as well as more obviously physical events. Your bodies are probable constructs in that they exist only because of the atom's appearance at certain points of probability. At other levels, the atoms do not exist at those same points, and your body's there, are not the same physical constructs. They do not then exist there. I'll leave it up to you to interpret whether Seth meant to say that they do not exist at all or whether they exist in a different form. Something something for you to ponder.
I think he means that they exist in a different form, early because he's saying they are not the same physical const concepts, constructs. See, he uh, goes to point out the limitations of our physical uh, perception, our five senses and our instruments. Here he says, scientifically, with all of your instruments, you're thus far able to perceive the atom's presence only in the field of your own system of probability. Since you perceive physically through the body, which is atomically structured, then, of course, your sense perceptions lead you to block out recognition of other probable stimuli or reactions. Uh, Seth then referred to um, a point uh, or a concept that uh, Jane had in one of her books, and that concept is prejudiced perception. And he points out this is probably a good term to use uh, to apply to the way we perceive things. Uh, next, he goes on to uh, repeat a point we've touched on before, that the electromagnetic energy units, or EE units, they are aware of probabilities. What he says, the EE units within matter, within the atoms and molecules, are aware of the probable fields of action that are possible. While the body's integrity must lie in a constant reiteration in one probability and maintain that within a probable uh, system, a certain constant. And while physically perception is largely directed there, that's us going about our lives, the basic integrity of the body system and consciousness comes from outside the system into it. Okay, so we have all these probable systems. And we, with our physical systems, uh, physical senses, and our instruments, to some extent, we tend to make one probability significant, and we focus on it, and that's what we call our reality. But, of course, as we know, that does not lessen the existence or the significance of all those other probabilities that we don't give any significance to, that we don't pay attention to. So the integrity of everything that we perceive depends on input coming from outside the system into our system, the one that we are focusing on. We could have focused on others, uh, realities and other systems, but we haven't. We focused on the one we're experiencing. And now Seth turns to how all of this is related to time. Here's what he says. The atoms, while behaving properly within the system and seeming to adhere to its rules and assumptions, nevertheless actually straddle probabilities. Your time structures, then, are intimately connected with probable action and fields of actuality. Now, that's admittedly a difficult concept to understand and quite complex, but then he goes on to give an example relating to uh, Rob buying or not buying the house in Sayer. Remember, he refers to Rob as Joseph. So he goes on. He said, in your terms, for example, it would seem as if Joseph could not have seen that house for sale until after, and there's an emphasis on after, until after a given series of events had occurred. It would seem as if all of this was dependent upon earlier events, his mother's prior meeting with Mr. Markle years ago, when both were young, her daydreams and fantasies in later years, her own death, Mr. Markle's old age and his abandonment of the house. In your terms, it seems that all of that had to happen before the house was put up for sale. 
so that Joseph, that's uh, Rob again, so that Joseph passing by only a few days ago could see the sign and decide to look at the house. In much more basic terms, all events exist at once, even as atoms and molecules appear at once in all probable positions. The body, behaving in time, uses a time structure and acts in it naturally as its, quote, constant structure endures in time. So in that framework, time was experienced, and using that organizational structure, time seems to unite those events. And next, Seth goes on to show how the, the different probabilities with all of their interactions actually have more of an effect than uh, time does. So he starts by summarizing what he just uh, mentioned about all the different events that had to happen before uh, Rob could see the house. He said, those events then arise into significance because of the particular kind of organization chosen. All right, we, we choose a certain kind of organization to perceive events with, and he's saying that we uh, choose to arise into significance a particular uh, reality that we experience, and we do. He says, other quite as valid events do not seem significant. They do not rise into perception, or what we call reality. They exist, however. In one reality, for example, Joseph's mother married Mr. Markle. Joseph inherited the home. In that reality, Mr. Markle died before Joseph's mother did, so there was no need for a Joseph here to even look for a house. He had one. In that reality, Joseph did not marry Rupert, and in this reality, Rupert instinctively felt apart from that house. So you see, in, in that reality, uh, <clears throat> they never did get married, and so that reality was connected to that home, and that's why Jane, uh, whom he calls Rupert, instinctively felt apart from that house. So Rob then asked uh, Seth the question about how much influence uh, the dead can have on us living. And here's what, uh, what Seth said. I made it clear the decision rested with Joseph and Rupert. That's Rob and Jane. But more than that, the whole question of a house of that kind brought into their own lives questions of values and prerogatives that were of great importance. So here he's getting into how our actions and our decisions and our thoughts that are dependent on our values and our priorities, how they affect the realities that we experience. So let me uh, repeat that last uh, sentence. More than that, the whole question of a house of that kind brought into their own lives questions of values and prerogatives that were of great importance. They needed to encounter their own positions on such issues. Joseph was unconsciously aware of the first house <clears throat> and could have chosen not to drive down that particular street, for example. Both he and Rupert have thought relatively little about money or social status. They have lived an apartment life instead, with little care for appearances. Yet there's always pressure in your society toward the acquisition of fashionable homes, and material possessions are often considered the medal of ability. Financially, Rupert and Joseph were beginning to do well. Only then did conventional ideas come to the forefront. Those ideas themselves emotionally attracted certain aspects, right? So certain aspects of Joseph's mother. So once again, I don't want to lose the significance here. 
all consciousness is multi-aspected, right? And so Joseph's mother, like everybody else, had many aspects. Seth goes on, quite simply in her terms, she wanted her son to do well. And to her, that meant possessing an excellent home. On her part, it was an innocent enough ambition. When she sensed any strong feelings that Joseph also wanted such a home, then, in your terms now, she began from her different framework after death to bring that opportunity into his experience. That is not manipulation. It does show, however, that one portion of Joseph's mother, the portion connected to her son, still relates to him in a certain fashion. It also shows that his desires for a house in Sayre helped bring about certain events. He could have such a house if he wanted one. The episode also mirrored his beliefs, for to his way of thinking he would have to relinquish certain freedoms, and this he was not ready to do. The events basically exist at once, though at your level you have to perceive them in time. As your intimate daily reality can be involved with and colored by probabilities brought into your experience by your own desires and belief, so is your mass culture, your world history, and species orientation colored by probable events that do not fit into your officially recognized idea of physical reality. So the point he's making is that just as each of us in our daily lives, um, our experience is colored by probabilities that we're not aware of for the large part. So in the same sense, the larger culture uh, with the, the larger world events and world values and so forth, uh, that is also affected by probabilities. And remember, we always have the freedom to choose which probability we want to bring into focus uh, based on our values. Seth goes on, alternate man, probable man, alternate use, probable use. These issues apply individually as well as in terms of the species, <clears throat> and they apply to your future as well as to your past. Uh, next, Seth goes into scientific discoveries and, and how they really are based on a process of bringing into significance one hitherto unrecognized or unthought about probability. Here's how he explained that. The greatest scientific discoveries are always, quote, accidents. They come from intuitional creativity, when suddenly a new kind of significance is seen that was not earlier predictable. You accept all data that fit your theories and ignore clues to the contrary. Yet underneath it all, you are significance-making creatures, right? Significant-making creatures, pattern formers, immersed in time, but basically apart from it. And so new insights come into your awareness and literally change the quality of any given reality at any given time. So by bringing into significance certain discoveries that might or might not exist in other realities, we impact the reality we experience. The discovery of electricity is a good example. Think of the difference it would make if someone at some point did not choose to bring into significance the existence of electricity and its possibilities. The idea of flight is another example. Think about how our probability, the one we accept as real, how it would be affected if no one had ever thought to bring into significance the possibility that 
we as a species could fly in machines. So, as Seth said, new insights come into our awareness because we choose to make one set of probabilities significant in our reality. And that literally uh, changes the entire culture, doesn't it, eventually? Uh, Seth goes uh, on to explain then uh, once again how all of this relates to, to values. He said, Joseph's mother is not only alive in another level of reality, but still learning. She's quite aware, therefore, of his decision not to buy the Markle house. In her level of reality, she was aware of the fact that Joseph wanted the house strongly, that one portion of him thought of possessing a large home, even though this would require upkeep and attention that another part of him did not want to provide because he felt it would take too much time from his painting and our work. The portion that momentarily desired the house immediately attracted the same kind of desire always felt on the part of Joseph's mother. This, on another level of activity and physical, reactivated old conflicts between them. For a while, their desires united them. The next sentence is important because it shows her progress. Now, however, Stella Butts, that's Rob's mother, Stella Butts is better able to understand her son's reactions. Through his decision in this reality, she is finally beginning to glimpse the reasons for his actions in the past that before were incomprehensible to her. Try to understand that all of these reactions are really happening at once. Joseph's desire at this end attracted his mother's like desire. In your terms, however, the reactions continue. All right, there's a lot, there are a lot of complex and complicated ideas and all of that, but I would ask anyone listening to think about what is happening in our world today. There is the attack of October 7th, where Hamas came in and did terrible, horrible things to residents of Israel. And there's a subsequent war, the response by Israel. And then there are the protests by tens of thousands of people in the United States against Israel and for Palestine and around the world. There are also demonstrations in favor of Israel. You might give some thought to the impact of different probabilities becoming our reality. What if the initial, uh, the initial attack by Hamas, what if that never occurred? For that matter, what about probabilities where we prevailed in Afghanistan and Iran would have been perhaps afraid to train Hamas for this event? Think of all the different values and different priorities involved on the part of the different parties. Think about the immense number of probabilities we could have given significance to and made it part of our reality, but did not. It's an interesting way to think about all of the current world events, isn't it? It gives perhaps some more immediate and personal meaning to the fact that we are all significance-making creatures, individually and en masse, as a culture and as a world. All right, that concludes our very complex session for today. And once again, I'm Dan McEnany, bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.